tonight we have with us a very, very special guest, all the way from Muncie, Rabbi Eliezer Abish. Welcome, Rabbi. How are you doing? Awesome, awesome, wonderful. Uh, Thanks for having me. This is... Uh just walk around the building. Aztachazak was a small little organization. <laughs> Realizes uh, almost a global network going on here. Baruch Hashem. Yeah, that's our idea. We want to spread Torah all over the world. Just the beginning, like we like to say. And it's a pleasure to have the rabbi on the program. Tonight's topic is making your prayers real, making our davening, our, our, our tefillot real. And uh, we actually have the rabbi Sefer, a book, Portraits of Prayer. Stories of the Sidur to bring your tefillot alive. So we're really excited about tonight's talk. But before we delve into tonight's topic, Rabbi, can you please give us a little bit of a background, a little bit about yourself to our broad audience? Sure, okay. Um, my name is Rabbi Eliezer Avish. I am a Rebbe in Tinek. I am also a principal in the Yeshiva Gedol of South Muncie, which is a high school in Muncie. I've been doing that. Sounds crazy to say it, but I've already passed the quarter of a century mark uh, officially in a classroom, so we're moving on to the next quarter this coming year, Mitzvah Shem. Um, besides for teaching in uh, the classroom, I do enjoy going around, as you saw the, that safer the, the book on tefillah, going around speaking uh, about tefillah, other topics as well, but tefillah is something I'm passionate about because prayer is such a strong tool and it's wonderful people use it correctly. So uh, that's what we enjoy doing. We write for other, other publications, etc. But primarily enjoy being in the classroom. Ah, okay. Amazing, Rabbi Alder. So like was mentioned, tonight's topic is making your prayers real. It says in Perkei Avot, do not make your prayers something automatic. Don't make it keva. How do we upgrade our prayers to, from a conversation to, to a serious conversation, to a sincere conversation with Baralam, with God Almighty? All right, that's a very important question, obviously. You know, tefillah is something that we do three times a day, every day, for our whole life. And it should be for very many, many years. So it will be something that we should understand what we're doing if we're going to spend so much time and effort doing it. Um, it's important, as they say, when someone is learning, they say that Hashem is talking to you. But when you're davening, you're talking to Hashem. And it's a direct conversation with Hashem. And that's what's so important to realize is that when we daven, we are actually having a conversation, having a conversation with Hashem. And if we remember that, you know, you think of Hashem sometimes as like a busy executive. And the phones are ringing and secretaries are coming in and aides are coming in with all sorts of stuff. And all of a sudden, a phone rings like he's got a red phone on his desk. Everything stops. I got to pick up the phone. What do you mean we got the deal going on? It's my kid. Everything stops. It picks up the phone. You've got to realize in your standing, whether you're in shul, in the synagogue, you're at home, you're in your car, wherever you are, you start talking, you say a shahakal, you say, whatever it is you're doing, everything stops. And it's just you and God in the whole universe. Don't worry that there are a million other people davening. It's just you and God and that's it. Everything stops because, because my kid's talking to me. So we realize that, like, wow, what I say, it actually means something. It has, it has an effect up there. Other people think, you know, they, they daven, it's, uh, it's, um, it's important to know what you're saying. It's important to know what you're saying. And that's really what, what, what got me going. Many years ago, I was visiting Israel. In Baruch Hashem, I have a lot of family there. And I happened to be at my aunt's and uncle's house. And at that time, one of my cousins was, she was a little girl, and I was talking to her, and she was in third grade. I was teaching third grade. I said, oh, let's talk shop. And I start to speak to her, and I said, what's your schedule? And she starts to tell me, they daven, they learn this, they learn that. I said, oh, 
how many psukim a day do you learn in Chumash? And she says, oh, we learn about 35 psukim a day. I said, 35 psukim a day? She says, yeah. How many do you do? I said, we do three, maybe four. So she said, what do you do the whole time? I said, look, you speak Hebrew. You think in Hebrew. So the psukim, you just do it. And then the rest of the time, your teacher spends explaining it and, and, and all the mafarshim explaining it. By us, a large portion of the time we spend is figuring out what do the words mean. And, and therefore, that takes a lot of time. So we only get to three or four psukim. So this little third grader thinks for a second. She goes, so what do you do by davening? I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, it probably takes you like three or four hours to daven. I said, no. She goes, well, how long does you spend for davening? I said, we spend maybe 35 minutes, 45 minutes. She goes, oh, you probably just say like one or two things. I said, no, we daven the whole davening. She goes, you daven the whole davening in like 45 minutes? But you have no idea what you're saying. How do you do that? And I had no answer for this little third grader. So I thought to myself, I'm going to come back to school and I'm going to tell the kids in my class, we're going to start learning Siddur. There's going to be revolt. Say, come on, Rabbi. I got to know the Chumash words, the Milan from Chumash. I got to know from Mishnayis. I got to know it from Navi. I got to know from Gemara. Enough! So I realized that the only way is, is, is through stories. And if you take a story and you relate it to a sentence or a phrase in the Siddur, and hopefully is when they're davening and they're speeding down that highway of davening as fast as they can, they'll rem- see these words, they'll remember a story, they'll slow down for a moment, and they'll remember it. And over time, don't forget, this is a life project. You're going to live your whole life, right? And you're going to daven three times a day, and in between, hopefully. You're always going to talk to Hashem. So if you know what you're talking about, those words are very, very special words. That's really our, our, our job and our task. Powerful, powerful, Rabbi Abish. Amazing, amazing. But Rabbi, the question is that we know that Hashem, that God knows our thoughts, knows what we think, and He knows what we want. So what's the purpose of dominating? That's such a great, that's, that's such an important question because somebody you know, would think, look, I, you know, I, I need a new bike. Does God know I need a new bike? Well, obviously He knows everything. He knows I need a new bike. Well, I woke up this morning and there was no new bike in my garage. So if He knows I need a new bike, well, He's not giving it to me. So is my bugging Him going to get me the bike? Is that how it works? Because with our parents, it works that way, right? You bug them, you bug them, you bug them. You see who lasts longer. And maybe the one who lasts longer wins, right? Does it really mean that I bug Hashem every day for a bike? Finally, Hashem says, enough! Take the bike! Is that what happens? We have to understand that davening, tefillah, davening to Hashem doesn't change Hashem. But davening changes us. The person I am before I daven, once I daven, I'm a different person. And Hashem says, you know, that person at 8 o'clock, he didn't deserve a bike. But the person at 9 o'clock, we just had that conversation. He's a different person now. And that, that's, you know, the morale brings down that, that davening, prayer, causes things to happen. That's not considered a miracle. That's considered nature. When it says you can't rely on a miracle, that doesn't mean you can't rely on tefillah. Because davening is part of nature. And therefore, davening causes things to happen. Hashem made the world with words Baruch to teach us the world is created that's how the world functions with speech and therefore we create things when we daven so it's not that we're changing Hashem when we daven we're changing ourselves and we can always be changed for the better that's really what, 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 what feel is
amazing, 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 very, very good stuff, powerful stuff. I, I want to go run to, to the oven right now. <laughs> but uh, Rabbi, everyone is looking for a good business opportunity that could help them in the long run. Uh, when we were davening, we were speaking to our Father in Heaven, to the Creator of the world. How does one take advantage of the opportunities of our daily tefillah? Every single day, shacharit, mincharit, three times a day that we're praying. How do we take advantage of it and maximize the, the potential? You know, it's such a... Also, you asked a good question. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you the truth. There's a fellow named Ray Heron. Ray? Ray Heron. Okay. Ray Heron used to work for a car company. And he decided one time, he's going to... He was also a car racer. And in the early 1900s, I think it was 1910, 1911, where they moved this race to the Indianapolis 500. Well, I was called the Indianapolis 500 because they had to go around this around these uh, laps. They had to do, I think it was 200, uh, 200 laps. <laughs> and it was about 500 miles, each was two and a half, whatever it was around. And when it came, he came up with a great invention. It was such a good invention. And he kept it a secret till right before the race started. Now, right before the race started, he revealed the secret. And as soon as he revealed the secret, everybody else went crazy, and they protested, and they said, he can't be in the race, it can't happen, it's dangerous. And the judges had to make a decision, and they made a rule, and they said he can be in the race. But his invention was so great, that since then, every single car has that invention. And that was a rearview mirror. Until then, you had a driver, and you had what was called a mechanic, a guy in the back. His job was... He'd tell you, I want to go to the right. So he would look, is anybody there? Otherwise, you're going to smash against the car, you're going to kill the guy. Anyone to my left? So the guy in the back tells you. He put on a rear view mirror. Now, what was, what was so good about that? Because the cars went, the faster they, they went, how they go so fast? Depend on the weight. So you have a guy 200 pounds in the back of your car, your car went slower. He got rid of the 200 pound guy, put on a one pound mirror. He's able to go fast. They said, it's dangerous, dangerous. And they checked the mirror, the mirror works. But I had a question, and that is, why did he take off that guy, put on the mirror, but he had something in his car weighing over 2,300 pounds? You know what that was? That was his engine. Mm. Why did he take the engine off? Take the engine off, <laughs> your car go much faster, much less weight. He obviously understood, like we all understand. No, 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 without, without the engine, the car doesn't go anywhere. I remember thinking about this, you look in the Chumash when it says, Eliezer was trying to find a wife for Rivka. So you look at the Pasuk, it says, um, and, and he went fast. Um, and he ran, and she ran, and everyone's running. Everyone's running, and she quickly ran to fill the thing, and she ran again. What's the rush? Where's everybody running? So we know that it says, when Eliezer came there, it says he came towards evening, and he dove into Hashem Hashem. I want to find a wife for Yitzchak today, Hayom. Make it happen today. Hashem looks at his watch and says, Today? Hello, the sun's almost setting. He davened, he really meant it. So Hashem says, Okay. He got everything going. Everyone had to run. Lovin has to run to greet them. She has to run. He's, but everyone's running. There's only one problem. If you look in the beginning when he was davening this tefillah, it says, There's a vayomer with a shalshalas. Vayomer. Hello. Everybody's running and you're busy. Let's go, let's go, let's go, get going. The answer is, he understood that you got to do what you got to do. You got to rush, you got to take care. You can't just dive to Hashem and sit back. But you can't take the engine out. What makes everything go is the davening. 
So when it came to the davening, that took time. He took his time with the shalshalas. Everyone, he takes his time. But now it comes to happen, everybody's rushing. But you can't take the engine out. You can take the mechanic, put a mirror, but you can't take... Sometimes we go, we daven, you know, I got to get to work. I got to run in, got to run out. You're taking the engine out. Then you expect it to work. It doesn't work. You want to cut corners and skip breakfast? Okay. But to go and skip davening, that, that's the engine. That's the engine of the day. Every time we daven, we got to realize this is what makes it happen. You don't take away what makes it happen to get there faster. It doesn't work. That's really what uh, what the whole tefillah is. Amazing, Rabbi Abish. I got to tell you, very big chizuk, very big inspiration. And uh, we know uh, in order to make our prayers real, we need to understand what we are saying. What tips would the rabbi give us for better concentration, better kavanah uh, in tefillah and prayer? Right. Well, the first thing I would say is read read a book on tefillah. <laughs> right read a book on tefillah <laughs> that uh, that explains the words. Now, again, again, you're going to be doing this your whole life. It's worth to invest time. You know, we invest in everything else we do. But the thing that we're going to live with and that helps us so much, get a sit with English translation, but don't learn it during davening. During davening is just for davening. Spend five minutes before. Pick a phrase. This is my phrase for the next three weeks. Wow. You try to do the whole thing, you'll get nothing. It wasn't work, I, I don't remember. A little thing and that's it. I have time for a story to tell. Let me tell you. Uh, you keep this in mind, and and, and it will change your diving forever. Okay. In 1941, by World War II, by the Holocaust, so the Russians and the Germans made an agreement, and this way they won't attack each other, and they can each, unfortunately, fight everybody else. In 1941, the Germans started something called Operation Barbarossa. Operation Barbarossa was they turned their backs on the, on, the, on the Russians, they stabbed them in the back, and they attacked them. And they were going through Russia so fast that the killing groups of the Nazis, Yemach Shimon, I think it's called the Eisenstappengruppe, the killing machines, they couldn't keep up. They were six weeks behind. And as they were going deeper and deeper into Russia, the, the Wehrmacht, the, the German army would come, and then a few weeks later, the killers to come and round up the Jews, unfortunately, would, 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 would come. So as they were going through, there was one city, there were about 60,000 Jews there. And when the Germans came in, 30,000 of them managed to flee. But a lot of people were old, or they had nowhere to go, or they had their family, they couldn't go. And they were stuck there. The day came when the German killers, Yemach Shimon, came in, and they gave the order, everyone had to come and gather in the botanical gardens. So they had no choice, they didn't know, they just hoped that it wouldn't be so painful. And they started to make their way to the botanical gardens. On the way there, there were a group of boys, about 15, 20 boys, and they passed by a shoal. And outside there were these Russian police who had no problem uh, going along with the Nazis. And they asked the police, you know, there's a synagogue here, can we go inside and pray a little? So they started to laugh, you want to go inside to talk to your creator? You'll see him in person in 15 minutes. What's so please let us in. What do you humor us? Okay. So they went inside. They started to pray. They daven mincha. And when they finished mincha, they came out and they herded off to this place. And unfortunately, there were killing pits and they machine gunned everybody. We know that people fell in, not everyone was killed, and later on they were able to climb out. One of these 15 boys got out. And he survived. And he would always say, could you imagine that mincha? 
that was the last mincha I was ever going to daven. In shul, sometimes, you know, the guy in front of us is sneezing. And we think, stop sneezing already. Or the guy next to me moving his chair. The other guy is clicking his pen. Like, stop it, I'm trying to daven. The guy's diving too fast. The guy's diving too slow. It's cold in here. It's hot in here. How do you think these 15, 20 boys were thinking about when they were davening their mincha? They looked at it. This is my last fila. My last fila. How do you think they felt? But we say this in davening every day. Can you imagine? We're getting ready to say Shema Nesra. We're getting ready to say Shema. What do we speak about? The angels. Kulam Kedoshim, Kulam Ahuvim. They daven so nicely, and they're so holy. What do I care how the angels are davening? I'm not an angel. What, 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 the angels don't fight. Yay, the angels very nice. I don't know what their allowance is. I don't know what goes on with them. Why am I talking about how the angels... And the answer the Gemara tells us is a frightening thing. It says there's some angels that they have the opportunity to praise Hashem once a day. Every day. There are other angels that get to praise Hashem once a week. Others... Only once a month. Others, once a year. Others, once every Shemitah, every seven years. Others, once every Yovel, every 50 years. That's it, once in their existence. The words, it says, there's a group of Malachim, they get to say Kadosh. Once in their existence, then they're gone. Every day, one group of those says Kadosh, then they're gone. A next group comes and says Kadosh, and then they're gone. A third group comes and says Kadosh Hashem Tzimakos, and then they're gone. They don't exist anymore. They're once in their existence. We say those words so we can think to ourselves, imagine this is your last monastery. How are you going to dive in? So, this is it. After this monastery, never again. How are you going to approach that monastery? You're going to approach it. Every single word is going to count. And I tell people, remember, we say the bracha once every 28 years. You think somebody woke up that morning and said, Oh, bring him Sakama. Where am I going to go say it? Everybody knew exactly where they're going to say it. They had the teal ready. They knew their parking spot. Everything was set up once every 28 years. You think just because you get to daven three times a day every day? Do you know the Anshes Kesagadola, the Sanhedrin, the, the people who wrote the sitter? In every single tefila has its job, its task to accomplish. And you don't get that opportunity. Every single tefila. It's not like I daven mincha again. I just did it yesterday, I'm doing it tomorrow. Let me just. This mincha is today's mincha, you'll never get it back again. You can imagine you approach a feel like that. I'm it's, it's, uh, So the two tips are number one is to have an English translation, to study it beforehand, little by little. Little by little, you gotta speak a volume out. And number two is every tefillah should be as if it's the last one. Because in essence, every tefillah is the only tefillah that there is for that right, day. Right, right, right. Amazing. The person looks at it that way and. and, and uh, it's, uh, Unbelievable. Uh, it's, uh, so Rabbi Avish, we got a lot of chizuk on the topic of tefillah, but we could ask you for one final message for our broader audience on this topic. Is that the Shem to give it a grand slam? <laughs> grand slam. <laughs> I'll tell you. Baruch Hashem, we get to make weddings, and we get to go to many weddings, and it's a beautiful, beautiful Only thing. Only happier. Oh man, oh man, it's beautiful. But when you go to a wedding, not everyone's the same. You have the people who are actually the family, right? The chastan, the kala, the parents. Now, then you have family, you have relatives, and the guests, and you have close friends, and not such close friends. How could you tell when you come to the wedding who's whom? Who's whom? How could you tell? So you come and you look, when does the chastan and the kala and their parents, when do they arrive? 
The chasnas called for six o'clock. When do they come? They're there three o'clock, four o'clock. They're there already, right? What about the you know the uncles and the first cousins? So if it's called for six o'clock, they're there by six o'clock. Good friends, six fifteen, six six fifteen there, and they stay all the way to the very end. Acquaintances, they come right before the chuppah, and they'll leave right afterwards. Let's say, or they come for the dancing. What about the guy in shul who says, "Oh, there's a wedding tonight. If he sees me tomorrow, I didn't go to his wedding. I better show up." He comes halfway through. He stays for five minutes. He says, "Mazel tov." Eats a piece of kugel, and then he leaves. This is the same thing in shul. The people who are very close to Hashem, davening starts at uh, seven thirty. The people who are very close to Hashem. At 7.15, they're there. The tefillin is on. They're saying what they're supposed to say. They're ready to go. Davening, they're still there. They don't take the tefillin off. After davening's over, they say a little more. Then they slowly take it off. Okay, you got to go to work. You got to go to work. Those are the people. They're very close. Then you have other people. They're close. 7.30, I'm here 7.30. I'm not late. <laughs> then I could have put on my tefillin, my towels, get find my sitter. But I was there on time. And I don't leave early. Then you have other people. I gotta go to shul, I gotta go to shul. So they come in, they're a little late, little, quickly put it on, see what that's like. And then you have people who are only acquaintances. They know Hashem, you know. They come in, I gotta be there. They're right before Baruch they come in. They're there, they're out of breath. They say what they gotta say before you turn around, they're gone. Every person has to decide, how are you related to Hashem? Are you really, really close? Are you really in, in a close family? Let's see, when do you show up for Hashem's wedding? Every single day, three times a day. When do you show up? So you can tell yourself, davening doesn't work. No, no, it's not that davening doesn't work. Are you working davening? If you go and you use it right, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And the most important thing, people think Hashem is a vending machine. <laughs> okay, uh, let's say I need a Walkman. Well, I'm dating myself. I need, I need an iPod. Uh, that's two tefillos. Hmm. Hey, look at that. That's four tefillos, one of them with Kavana. But look how big it is. I'll take that. Hashem is not a vending machine. It doesn't work that way. Just end off with one thing. There was a lady, Rebetzin Tress. She was an old lady, a grandmother, and her grandchildren used to love coming to visit her. And one time one of her grandchildren said, Grandma, Bobby, Safta, you daven all day. It doesn't take me that long to daven. What are you davening for? She says, what do you mean? First I daven because I have to daven. Then I daven for the health of all my children. Then I daven for the health and success of all my grandchildren. She goes, but that still doesn't take so much time. I have great grandchildren. I daven for their health too. Yeah, but then you still. What, then what are you davening for? She goes, then, then I daven just to daven, just to daven. Every word that we say, you get to speak to Hashem, and that is something we have to think. Davening Hashem is not a vending machine. There's nothing more important to Hashem's day. Waiting all day, sitting by his phone, waiting for that phone to ring, waiting for his child, that's us. Waiting for his child to go and to, to, to speak to him. If you imagine every time we open our mouth, Hashem is running to hear what we have to say. Wow. Rabbi Eliezer, Abish, Shlita, what a chizuk, what an inspiration. Chazako, Baruch Yishakach, for those words of inspiration. Let's not forget the powerful uh, inspiration that the rabbi gave about filah, about prayer. I can't wait to run to Daven right now. Good I'm really, really, really excited by the new insights in the Kiddushim that the rabbi gave over. And we want to remind our broad audience, every single Tuesday, we have Tuesday's Timely Torah Talk, special guests coming, speaking about various different uh, topics and inspiring all of us. We're getting amazing feedback. Continue joining and spreading the word to all. 
And I want to just thank Rabbi Abish one more time. I just want to thank you for, for all that you do for Klai Yisrael. And, and just, you know, you come inside. Are other people allowed to come visit? <laughs> Everyone's welcome. You have to have <laughs> tours. you got to see what's going on over here. It's unbelievable. Changing the world. Changing the world. One person at a time. Exactly. Tremendous. Thank you. Thank you.